0: Good morning, everybody. Blessed be the day this day. My story begins when I was a young girl. I went to church. I got baptized at five. I was involved in the youth group. I put on the good Christian facade, but all the while feeling unworthy of love and acceptance. By the time I was 15, I truly doubted God's existence. Where was He in my life? Why was I here? Why was I even alive? At the time, my parents put me through counseling to think that that would help me, and it did for a short while. But still, where was the worth? Where was the acceptance? I still doubted God's existence. For for many years after that, I tried to find my worth through toxic relationships. By the time I was 19, I got pregnant with my son. I thought, thankfully, I'm finally going to be accepted. My child will accept me. My child will unconditionally love me. My child gives me purpose. And for a short period of time, he did that, but then still there was a void in my heart. By the time I was 21, I met a man who showed me what I thought unconditional love was. He gave me two amazing children, Becca and Shane. Shortly after that, we decided to get married. Even though he would throw malicious, hurtful words at me and often objects, I still married him. Two years later, we had our daughter, Kirsten. My life was complete. I had four amazing kids. I loved them unconditionally. They gave me purpose, but there was still a void in my heart. A few years after that, about 2015, I chose that I was going to end my toxic relationship with my husband. I was going to end the marriage. I was done. I started confiding in a man at work, Glenn Reynolds, about my marriage issues and he started confiding in me. At first I thought nothing of it. We weren't acting on these feelings. It wasn't infidelity. By 2016, I filed for divorce. It was, it was uh, done in April 2016. By the next March, Glenn and I were married. I was so happy. He was the man of my dreams. I was going to spend the rest of my life with him. He loved my children. I mean, he was willing to marry a woman with four young kids. So I figured he must have loved me or he was crazy but we were blissfully unaware of the consequences we were going to face because of our sinful ways the first year was great but then the struggles began we struggled with how to discipline the kids we struggled with finances we struggled with with our work we struggled with trusting each other fully trusting each other still where was God in my life he didn't exist to me in 2013, our daughter Becca was invited to youth group at FBC Elgin. I wasn't going to not let her go. My doubts shouldn't affect her. So she went. She came home so excited about what she learned, and she went back week after week. In 2014, she went to youth camp. She came home on fire for the Lord, and she chose to get baptized. She asked me if our family would come to the Sunday service of her baptism, and of course I said yes, we would be there. Even though I had denied church, they're full of hypocrites and they're judgmental. Why would I... What, I'll go, but really? So we went. And I'll never forget that first service that Jason spoke of unforgivable sins. The judgment and the condemnation set in. My, none of my sins were forgivable. How could he forgive me for what I had done? And then Jason spoke of the redemption through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We continue coming to church every weekend... We tithed, we were here, but I still felt there was something missing. I was like, Lord, I'm tithing, I'm going to church, I'm doing what you want me to do, but there's still something missing. I was about to give up on my faith until one day in April of 2014, I was driving on 183 overpass, and this, this voice said to me, It's your time. And of course, I'm like, You're crazy, it's not my time. I'm driving on this busy highway, I gotta call my mom, my kids, my husband. And then all of a sudden this peace came over me and the voice said, it's your time to trust me. And all I could think was this whole time I felt like I was unworthy. Nobody loved me and all he wants is for me to trust in him. A few months later, I was asked to go to youth camp. I was like, why? How can I help anybody? It wasn't how I could help, but it was surely how I could be helped. I got to witness both my sons being saved by the Lord, our God. A few months after that, in August, they came home. We came home, and in August, they chose to get baptized. And I chose to dedicate my life to God at the age of 37. And I knew that through the life and the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection, that I was an unforgiven child of God. I chose that day that I would trust in Him. And that I knew that no matter what I did, it was forgiven i f- sorry. And I knew from that day forth, no matter what God's plan was for me to be a loving wife, a loving mom, a loving grandma, or to love on our youth, that the main thing was that I was going to share his word, his grace and his love and his forgiveness through my story. Thank you.
1: I want to thank Jennifer. Uh, she, uh, She's going to be in both services. That is, it's tough to share your heart in a room with this many people in it. I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you that. It, that is hard to do. And when she emailed me this week, she said, uh, she said hey, man, the first time I showed up in, in church, I was, just, I was just full of doubts. I doubted that God loved me. I doubted that I could be forgiven. Um, and, and God, that very first Sunday, began to speak to my heart. And I, I want you to know it wasn't immediate. Right, it took some time. I'm going to share part of my story with you later. But that's what we're doing here. This is, for 15 weeks, guys, we've been walking through the Gospel of John, and our series is called This Is My Story. And the reason we've labeled it that is because John says that he wrote his Gospel in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, I've written these things that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. And so the Gospel of John is unique. It has all these encounters that Jesus has with people, and each of their stories is meant, it's put in there, that we might believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Savior of the world. And along the way, what we've learned as we've shared our stories is that we all have a story. And that our stories are meant to do that very same thing, to point to a watching world and to show them that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so uh, that's what we've been doing as we walk through the Gospel of John. Now, uh, listen, uh, I'm going to be in John chapter 20. John chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse 19. We left off in verse 18 last week, and I kind of want to bring you up to speed. So last week was was Palm Sunday. That's the the day on the church calendar. It's Palm Sunday. That's the day we celebrate uh, that day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's called the triumphal entry. We know the night before that, that a woman named Mary at Bethany, this was Lazarus's sister, uh, had anointed Jesus's head and feet with a a pound of pure perfume. Uh, It filled the whole house with this great smell. I, I kind of shared with the church a few weeks ago, I think as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, that no doubt the crowds are smelling this sweet fragrance. Perhaps that's where we kind of got that, that whole fragrance of Christ thing, right? Or the aroma of Christ thing. And, and, and so so that happens, and, and, and Jesus enters Jerusalem on this donkey, and people are shouting, Hosanna! And they're laying their, their coats, and, and palm branches down, and he enters in triumph. And then Monday... Jesus goes to the temple and he clears out all the money changers. On Tuesday, uh, this is called Holy Week or Passion Week. On Tuesday, Jesus publicly answers questions from the Pharisees and from the Sadducees. The Pharisees want to know about taxes and whether you should give money to Caesar. The Sadducees want to know about the resurrection even though they don't believe in it. Jesus publicly answers those questions. And then we have Thursday. Thursday, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, and he's sharing the last supper that he'll eat with them. And, and you may remember that he gets up that night, and he takes off his outer garment, and he gets down on his hands and his feet. This is Jesus, the Son of God, on his knees, washing the feet of men that are about to flee, Okay. After, after the supper, Jesus walks with his disciples, not Judas, because Judas had left to betray him, but he walks with his disciples through the gar, or to the Garden of Gethsemane. And along the way, they're walking through vineyards, no doubt, and Jesus is pointing out things like vines. He says, I, I am uh, the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and my words remain in me, in you, then you're going to bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. He's still teaching up till the last moment. He gets to Gethsemane and he says, My, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And I've got to pray. Would you please stay awake and pray with me? And Jesus goes a stone's throw away and he begins to pray and he's so overwhelmed that his sweat is like drops of blood, the scripture says. As he thinks about the cross, he prays to his father and he says, Father, if, if there is any way that you can take this cup from me, like if there's any other way to do this and God, please do that but not my will, your will be done. And of course, we know that Judas enters the garden with the chief priest and with the soldiers of the temple. They arrest Jesus and they put him on trial Thursday night. Now it was illegal to try anybody in the darkness or in the cover of night, but they did. And Jesus stands trial. He gets bounced back and forth between different officials and they beat him. Bible says in Isaiah that he was marred beyond human likeness. Jesus was beaten to a bloody pulp. And then on Friday morning, he was forced to carry a cross up to a hill called Golgotha or Calvary. And there, Jesus was nailed to a cross by his hands and by his feet. And he was, he was raised up. And the Bible says that on Friday, that Friday we just had a couple of days ago that we call good, that about three o'clock, Jesus suffocated to death. And he breathed his last breath about three o'clock and the sky went black. Now, two men, one named Joseph of Arimathea and another named Nicodemus, who we met in John chapter 3, they go to Pilate and they say, we would like the body of Jesus. They take his body down off the cross and they they have a hundred pounds of spices that they cover him with and they wrap him in linen cloths and they place him in a brand new tomb that had never been used a stone is rolled in front of the tomb. Now, the chief priests go to the Romans and they say, hey, we're afraid these disciples are going to steal his body. And if they do that, this guy said that his body wouldn't be there on the third day. If they steal his body, man, this, 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 this way thing, that's what they called it, the way. They said, this way is going to explode. Would you seal the tomb? So they seal the stone. They place Roman guards there and Jesus is dead and his body is in the tomb. And that is Friday, day one. His body's there all day Saturday, day two. That's the Sabbath. Nobody goes to the tomb to our knowledge. But then on Sunday, on the third day, a woman named Mary Magdalene who loved Jesus very much. You've got to know Mary's story. She was possessed by seven demons And Jesus cast them out. I don't know what God has done for you, but uh, it should result in this kind of act. And so she goes to the tomb. uh, And we don't really know what for. Some other texts say that she brought some spices with her. We believe she was looking for the dead body of Jesus. And that's proven when she gets to the tomb and the stone has been rolled away. And she begins to say, what have you done with the body of my Lord? She's looking for a dead man. And, and surely then she sees angels. And then Jesus appears to her and reveals himself to her. And he's like, "He's like Mary, it's me. And she freaks out. She's like, oh, Jesus. And she grabs him. And then Jesus is like, no, don't hang on to me. I need you to do something, Mary. I want you to go to my brothers. He's talking about the disciples. I want you to go to the disciples. I want you to tell them that something has changed, that I am alive. I'm no longer dead. They're no longer my servants. They're no longer my friends. Now they're my brothers. And guess what? God is now your father. Go tell them for me, Mary. And that's where we left off in John chapter 20, verse 18. And this is what the word of God says as we pick up in verse 19. It says, when it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Now Jesus came and he stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. Now, having said this, he showed them his hands and and his side. You remember his side was pierced. So he shows them his hands and his side. And uh, so the disciples, it says, rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, hey, 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 we've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord. By the way, I think your text may not say it. I'm pretty sure the hey, hey, hey was in there. Okay, I believe it's there. We've seen the Lord, but but he said to them, if, if I don't see, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, if I don't put my finger in the mark of the nails, and if I don't put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples are indoors again, and, and Thomas was with them. And even though the doors were locked, Jesus came, and he stood among them, and he said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, Thomas, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And then where we picked up earlier, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you might have life in his name, in his name. And so what I want you to do with me is I want you to pray uh, with me for a moment, if you don't mind. And we're going to talk about what this text means. Father, I come before you and I ask humbly that you would open our minds and our hearts to the truth of God's word. God, we are gathered here on this day to celebrate the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, and We just want to confess openly that many of us here came this morning a bit like Thomas. We've had major difficulties in life. For some of us, we walk through the doors and the truth is our world is falling apart. That's caused us to doubt. It's caused us to doubt your goodness. It's caused us to doubt your love. It's caused us to doubt your plan for the world, for our lives. And what we need, God, is today we need to see Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and take your place in our church as our teacher and our guide. That is your your job, not ours. We pray that you would teach God's people his word and that you would transform them from the inside out into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus, be glorified in all that we say and do here in your name we pray. Amen. So two things I want you to see because of the text, just two. You're like, I know, preachers are supposed to have three. I just got two this morning, okay? Just two things I want you to see. And here's the first. I think it's kind of a big deal, okay? I want you to understand this morning that we are all prone to doubting the power, purpose, and plan of God, all right? All right? We are all prone to doubting the power, the purpose, and the plan of God, every single one of us. And before I talk about um, Thomas and the disciples and their doubt, I kind of want to talk about this on a a higher level, on a macro level, just as a whole, God and us as his creation. And so in the book of Isaiah, God speaks to his prophet and tells his prophet, I want you to go talk to the people, and and I want you to kind of explain to the people the way that I work and the way that they interpret my work, because I think they're misinterpreting what I'm doing. They're trying to figure me out. and, And so... So, so God says to his prophet Isaiah, I want, I want to reveal to you something about me that you guys don't understand. And this is what God says to his people. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Right? So God's like, Isaiah, I need you to tell my children, this is really important, that they don't think like me. Okay. They think that they think like me, but they don't think like me. My thoughts are not your thoughts, Isaiah says to him. Like, I want you to tell people this. And then he goes on and he says, and, and your ways are not my ways. He says, this is, this is my declaration. Ready? For as heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And so what God is basically saying to Isaiah to tell to the people is this. Like, listen, it's not a bad thing that you try to understand me. Okay. That's not a bad thing. But I need you to know the truth is you cannot fully understand me because I am God and I work on an entirely different plane, okay? So you guys are down here and you interpret everything on this plane, but I am up here connecting and working things that you can't even fathom and figure out. And we know this. If we step back, we know this. God is eternal, Right, And the fact that God is eternal means that God exists at all times in the past, in the present, and in the future, all at the same time right? And here we are. We're limited. We're just in the the present, or we should be in the present. Some of you guys are stuck in the past. I love you. God love you. You got to move on, right? Some of you are so focused on the future that you don't enjoy today, Like Some of you have that problem, but God is in all of those areas all at the same time, right? And so God says to his people, like, listen, okay? Like, you, I want you to try. I want you to think about me, but I just need you to know that your best thoughts of me are going to fall way short of who I really am. Like, Like, that's God's declaration to his people, and so what does that mean for us? You know what that means for us, guys, that we can't understand this this unfathomable God? It means that because of our lack of understanding, the fact that we can't figure out what God is doing, that we can't always connect all the dots, it means that what's going to happen in life is that we're going to have questions, right? We're going to have concerns. We're even going to have doubts about whether or not God is really good like he says he is because we can't understand how he's working or what he's doing, right? creates doubts. We doubt the power of God because we live on a plane full of the limitations of man. We doubt the purpose of God because we can't completely see what, how, and why he's doing what he's doing. And all of that ultimately when we experience it personally, when like Thomas, we come with great loss in our lives, when we experience it personally, we we begin to question God, like, like what is your plan? You mean to tell me, like when we're hurt, when we're injured, when our world is falling apart, we begin to say, God, you really mean to tell me that this is good? Like there's not a better way that this could have happened. And so we come to God with these doubts because we lack understanding, because we cannot, it's impossible for us to see. And so here's what I'm saying to you this morning. I believe this text teaches us, ready? I find this freeing. I hope it's helpful to you, ready? Thomas isn't the only disciple battling doubt. It's not. I'll show it to you. Walk back through this again. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, says, Hey, Mary, it's me. Mary grabs onto him. Mary, you got to let go of me. I want you to go tell my brothers. I want you to go tell the disciples that I am risen, that I'm alive. I want you to tell them that you've seen me, and I want you to tell them that they're now my brothers and that God is now their father. And so Mary, the text says, returns to the disciples. Here in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. Now, the question is, did they believe what she said? Now, the text in John makes it seem like, well, like, they're yeah, man, Jesus, we believe, we see you. But guess what? Luke gives us a different account of this same instance. Ready? And here's what Luke says. Says, as they were saying these things, this is the same account that we just read. As they were saying these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace be to you. But get this, but they were startled and they were terrified and they thought that they were seeing a ghost. All right. So, so listen, when Mary shows up to the disciples and and, and and says, hey, listen, Jesus is alive. I'm telling you, he's alive. I, I saw him. Uh, and, and, and listen, he told me to come tell you that you're now his brothers. And, and, and listen, he's, he's coming. He's going to come talk to us, right? And then Jesus shows up on the scene. They're, they're freaked out. They go, like, man, we're seeing a ghost. And that is why Jesus says, hold on, peace be with you. Come touch my hands. Come touch my side. This is what he says to the disciples. See, Thomas gets a bad rap, right? We call him Doubting Thomas. But the truth is, when we study Scripture, we find out that all of the disciples had doubt. And friends, I don't know if this is as freeing to you as it is to me. But man, I struggle at times when I have doubts about God. I come into a place like this and I feel unworthy. I feel unwelcomed. I feel like I'm surrounded by a bunch of people that always get it. And they have all the answers, and they, I mean, their lives are perfect for crying out loud. Just look at what they're wearing. My socks don't match, and I won't tell you how long I've been wearing the underwear I've got on. That's a joke. I, I did laundry. My wife keeps me dressed. I promise. But man, our, our lives—our I, I, lives are chaos. Just to get our family at church, there's usually some blow up on Sunday morning, and I come down off the stage at 9 30, walk out into my office, my children come in, I say, You are all grounded. God bless you. Happy Easter, right? He is risen, he is risen indeed. It's the truth. That's the pastor's family. That is the truth. Grounded every Sunday going to link that with church. They're going to have great feelings later in life. I know it. Winning as a parent. What I'm saying to you is if like Thomas, your world, everything's not perfect. And if like Thomas, that's created some doubts within you about whether or not God is good, whether or not he's really reigning, whether or not you're going to make it. You know what I'm saying? I want you to hear this this morning. Because maybe some people in places like this have made you feel that way. Because you look around and you think their lives are all perfect. Not a single person in this room's life is perfect. One of the things that we we try to do in this church is create a culture where we are just authentic and we just lay it out on the line and say, man, we're messed up. Um, Because our goal is, listen, church can't be a place full of hypocrites if everybody there says they're messed up. You follow me? Church can't be a place full of hypocrites if everybody in the pews says they're messed up and they're there because they need help, right? And so here's what this thing shows us. When we understand that Thomas is not the only one that doubts, when we understand that all of us struggle with doubt, that the the disciples doubt too, and then when we look at how Jesus deals with doubt, by the way, do you notice what he does? Jesus doesn't hold the doubters off at a distance. He invites them closer. (laughs) Come here, my child. Come here. Check, Check this out. Ready? it's me. I've got this. I've got this. I have, I know you don't feel that way. I know you feel like your world is falling apart, but come closer and see I am in control. And that's what the nail pierced hands and the nail pierced feet and, and the side of Jesus show us that God is indeed in control and that he does have a plan and that we are not alone and we are not forgotten and we are not unforgivable. Amen. Right? It's beautiful, it's beautiful. So that's the first thing I want you to see, guys, is that we all struggle with doubt. Right? We all struggle with doubt. The second thing I want you to understand this morning is this, is we don't really need the proof that we think we need to believe in Jesus. We just need his presence, all right? We don't really need the proof We don't really need proof to believe in Jesus. We just need his, his presence. And so this story, I don't know if it caught you, but it kind of caught me, uh, this week as I kind of thought through this text is that his response is ridiculous, right? I mean, so, so Mary Magdalene sees Jesus, tells the disciples, then the disciples don't believe, but then all the disciples now see, and we have Mary he's seen, and then, and now, and now, and then Thomas is like, I don't care what you say. I don't believe. And I'm not gonna believe. I am not gonna believe unless I personally touch the nail holes, stick my hand in the side. I am not gonna believe, right? I mean, I mean, look at what he says in verse 25. If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hand, if I don't put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will what? Never believe. Like that's a bold declaration. It's a bold declaration. And, and so Jesus shows up on that scene. Okay, with Thomas, who's who's there, by the way. And I don't know where he was the week before. Okay? I don't know. But I'm just gonna tell you, if you miss a week of church, you don't know what you're gonna miss. <laughs> just saying, right? <laughs> don't stay at home. I know it's Easter Sunday, but next Sunday you can be like, I don't know, I'm kind of tired. Jesus might be like, hey, what's up? And you missed it. All right? You're not gonna believe everybody else what happened. So so Thomas shows up, second week. he's like, I'm not going to believe unless Jesus himself appears and shows me the nails. And so Jesus shows up and look what he says. Here, Thomas, it's me. All right, put your hand, put your finger right here. Look at my hands. Reach out. Hand, put it in my side. Do not be faithless, Thomas, but believe. Do not be faithless, Thomas, but believe. Now, here's the deal. Church history, I think we've taught this wrong. Because we have taught... I'm sure I've even said it in in the years I've taught this story. We have taught, then, then, at this point, Thomas reaches out and he touches the holes in Jesus' hand and he puts his hand in his side and then he believes. But that's not what the text says. In fact, the text kind of implies the opposite. Look, look, this is, this is Thomas's response to Jesus. My Lord and my God! Right? Jesus shows up. Now, Thomas is demanding proof. He's like, I will not believe unless I what? Unless I touch, he says. Unless I touch the nail. And unless I put my hand. thats He's demanding that he does that in order to believe. But then Jesus shows up, says, here, Thomas, I want to invite you in. I want to invite you to do what you've been looking to do. And Thomas doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. Instead, he just just boldly declares my Lord and my God to what Jesus says, verse 29, because you have seen me. Notice he did not say because you have touched me. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed, and blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so here's what I'm gonna say to you. Listen, if you're like Thomas and your world has fallen apart at some point and you show up here this morning and the truth is that you're doubting God, you're doubting his goodness and you're doubting his love. Like that, that's, come on, that's gotta be some of us here, amen? So what you've shown up with is probably some kind of list of demands for God. God, if you want me to believe in you again, you've gotta fix that job situation. You've gotta, you've gotta repair my marriage, right? You've gotta put some money in my bank. Like, like God, you've, you've gotta show me that you love me. You've gotta tell me why I lost my loved one. God, if you want me to believe in you, here is my list of demands. And we kind of show up, um, God, like that. And so if if that's you this morning, I just want to speak a few things into you. I'm going to say this lovingly. I'm going to say this, first of all, i want to say this as one of you, because I've been there. So as one of you who's been there, I've had this attitude with God. And I I just want to share just three things with you. They are not in your notes, but just from my heart. And, and, and here's the first thing. If you're here and you're saying, God, I doubt you. Here's my list of demands. Uh, this is what you owe me in order for me to believe. I, I just want to start with this. Guys, God doesn't owe you anything. Like, that's the truth. I know we kind of twist it. We kind of think that God owes us. We think that, that we have to have, like, and Thomas believed he had to have this proof. God, you have to show me if you want me to believe, right? And so we kind of have our own list of demands. But, but the truth is, God doesn't owe us anything. The Bible says that God made us in his image that he created us to be with him. And the reason that we're not with him, the reason that we feel so distant from him, the reason that we question his plan and his ways is because we're not in his presence and we're not in his presence because of our sin. Not, not anything to do with him. The Bible says that we chose to rebel against God. In fact, it says that there, Adam and Eve, that they chose instead of being with God to be like God. And we make that decision every day, don't we? We say, God, I want to be in control of my life. I want to be in control of what I look at and how I talk, of what I do with my money, of how I treat others. I want to have the say. I want to be in control. That's rebellion against God and rebellion against his ways. And guys, when we rebel against, like we have done that. The Bible says every person in this room has done that. And yet here's, here's here's the beauty of that. Though we have done that, this God who, who listened, I'd be mad. Like, I'd be mad, right? Forget you. Right? You remember that CeeLo song? Forget you, forget you. Y'all remember that? I've been driving around the town. Okay, I, 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 I beat God. Forget you. Right? But God doesn't. God pursues. And so God pursues people that have rebelled against him. People that said, no, I want to be king. No, I want to be in charge. God pursues him to the point that he sends his one and only son, Jesus, to come and do what the, the, the people couldn't, what the rebellious people couldn't. So Jesus comes and he lives out the law for 33 years perfectly. He, he, he fulfills every commandment of the law and then he dies in the place of the rebellious people. Like, that's how God's plan worked, And no wonder we're like, I, I don't understand you, God. I'm mad at, like, we don't, under. this is what he's saying. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Because our ways would have been, forget you. Come on. And so here, I want you to see. Listen, when we show up in a place like this, and we've been hurt by life, and I get it. It's the human response, that we have doubts. And we're like, God, this is what I need in order to believe in you. I just want you to understand, God doesn't owe you that. The opposite is true. We owe him everything. So God doesn't owe us. And when we show up with our demands, that's just like even more in your face, okay? But get this, even though God doesn't owe us, by his grace, he often shows us those things we're looking for. He just does. That's what he does with Thomas. Thomas is like, I will not believe unless you meet my commands. Thomas the terrorist. This is my list of demands. I want pizza. I want unmarked bills. I want to see your hands and your feet. And then I'll believe. So Thomas shows up like this. And God just doesn't have to. God doesn't owe Thomas anything. But out of his grace, he says, Thomas, come here. Come and see. Come closer. Come with your doubt. So I'm going to say, "You listen, while God doesn't owe you whatever your list of demands is, I wouldn't be shocked if God meets you. The Bible says this about God. Jeremiah 29, uh, 13. When you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. And if you're really seeking after God and these things are that important to you, God, I really want answers. I, I believe God in his grace will give you answers. But here's the last part of this. When he does, guess what? The answers won't change your heart. Because here's what Thomas figured out, ready? We're not really looking for proof. You know what Thomas really wanted? You know what his heart cried out for? Jesus. He just wanted to be in the presence of Jesus. He didn't really need the proof. He thought he needed the proof. What he really needed was his Jesus standing before him. And here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. If you're here and you are struggling with doubt, if you're here and you're not sure about this God thing and you've got this list of demands, listen, I know that's what you think you want. I know you think you want God to prove to you that he's real, but what you really need? is just to be in his presence, all right? What you really need is him, not proof, all right? And so I wanna help you unpack this and I'm gonna send you home, I'm gonna let you out of here. Uh, these are some, some things I think we can do uh, because of the life of Thomas that'll help us live this out and help us do better, okay? So here's, here's the first, ready? Number one is I think we need to stop staying at a distance with our doubt, okay? Stop staying at a distance with our doubt. We don't know where Thomas was week one. I assume he's staying at a distance with his doubt, like, I, I, I'm, nope, nope, I'm wrecked. I'm not, no, I'm not coming. I don't know. And, and, and maybe that's because the other, yeah, I mean, clearly the other disciples had, but that's, that's what we begin to think. Man, something's wrong with me. I'm broken because I have these questions about God. And if I can't go to church, I can't, can't be around people that seem to have it all together. And listen, I, I'm just telling you, that's broken. That's wrong thinking. And so I, I don't want you to stay at a distance with God anymore with your doubts. I want to, Jesus invites doubters closer. Come closer. Come to me. Come hang out with me. So that's the first step, okay? The second step is this, um, that you need to put yourself in a place where God promises his presence, okay? You need to put yourself in a place where God promises his presence. And so uh, uh, Jesus, when he was a young boy, his family went to Jerusalem for a festival and then they left and families would travel in big caravans. It wasn't like me and my four kids and I lost one of them. Uh, It was a huge family and like they're with aunts and uncles and their aunts and so they leave and they get outside of the city returning home and they realize that Jesus is not amongst anybody in the family. And so of course Mary and Joseph return frantically uh back back to Jerusalem and and they start searching for Jesus and they find him in the temple. And this is what Jesus says to them uh here in uh I think I have it. Do I do I have it? Okay, so Jesus says to them, Did you not know that I was gonna be in my father's house? Like that's his response. Like, did you not know that I was going to be in my father's house? Later, Jesus makes a promise, right? He says, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there also I will be, right? And so I'm just going to tell you what you need is not the, the you, you don't need all of the proof. What you need is the presence of God. And so, so what we have to do is we have to put ourselves in a place that God promises he's going to show up. And you know where God promises he's going to show up? Anywhere that people are gathered to truly worship his name. God will be there. God will be there. Now, listen. I, I know there are many churches out there um, uh, that, that that maybe miss the mark. There's some uh, I know that I can watch on TV uh, that are really more about politics and self-help. Okay, I think that kind of misses the mark. But there are a ton of good churches out there. There's like 53 churches in Elgin, Texas alone. It's not like there's a lack of places you can find God's presence. Okay, get in one of them. <laughs> Put yourself in the path of God's presence because only his presence will change you. And so here's the, the, the last part of my story. And I've shared some with you before, but um, when I was mad at God, my, my grandfather's like my dad had died. I had my list of demands. I was, I was done. I was angry. I didn't want to believe in him. I couldn't, I couldn't care less. I wanted to drink it all away. Um, this guy shows up and he invites me to a thing and I didn't know what the thing was. He didn't tell me it was a Bible study. And he pulled up into a church parking lot and I was so mad I cussed him out in the parking lot and we got out of the car and I walked into this place and I was amongst the people of God and they were genuinely worship God and God's presence was so thick. It was so thick that I was changed. Now I, I didn't receive Jesus right away but I came back. I kept wanting to put myself in that place. I kept wanting to feel him. I needed to see Jesus just like Thomas did. Okay? And if you've got your list of demands, God, I'm so mad at you I want this and this and this. Just put yourself in the path. Just put yourself in the place where Jesus is. I promise you will be blessed. Last thing uh, I would share with you is this. Um, ask God. Ask God. God, help me see Jesus. Right? God, help me see Jesus. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is uh, Elisha is, is uh, um, surrounded by, by um, the armies of, of, a, of a pagan king and... Uh, they're surrounded and, and the servant of Elijah gets, gets up and he's like, oh my gosh, Elijah, we're gonna die. The, 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 the armies are everywhere. And so Elijah says, no, God, God's with us. And the, and the dude's look around. He's like, the God is not here. We're surrounded by these evil armies. We're gonna die, we're gonna perish. And so Elijah prays, God, open the eyes of my servant. He sees that the mountains are full of chariots and horses and God's army was greater than the army of the enemy. Um, friends, listen, I know you've got doubts. How could you not when life is hard, right? When things that you look for fall apart, when it's not the way that you hoped it would be, okay? Here's what you do with those. You bring them to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I just wanna see you in this. That's what I need more than anything else, all right? So that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna have a time of invitation where we respond uh, to the Lord in in an act of worship and we're just gonna have a moment that you can walk through this with us and then we will be dismissed, okay? Pray with me. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. Um. Thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, just pray um, right now that you would just come and meet with us in a special way. And so, Father, because the truth is, um, if we're being honest, and, and God, I know it's Easter Sunday, and like, that's not the day to be honest, God. That is the day to put on your best outfit and your best smile, and we've we got to stand for the picture. We've got to act like we've got it all together. But the truth is, <laughs> we showed up today, and some of us have, have lost it. God, for some of us, we feel like the world is pressing in and that we are losing control and we are wondering, God, where are you? Where are you, God? We've got doubts. We've got fears. And so this morning, we're gonna bring those before you and we're just gonna lay them at your feet. God, that's our hope, that is our prayer. So Jesus, be glorified in what we do in the next few minutes please. We ask that in your holy, powerful, and precious name. I'm just going to ask you to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment. And I just want some honesty in the room, because I'm going to pray for you. But how many of you are here, and you resonate with this story of Thomas? Say, man, yeah, I've had doubts about God. Just raise your hands. And say, man, life hasn't gone the way that I thought it should. Just raise, Nobody's looking. I, anybody else? Man, I'm struggling right now. I'm struggling. Come on. How many of you this morning could say, yeah, I, I, I've got a list of demands that I've, I've thrown out there with God? Yeah, that's a brutal, honest question. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, I've got a list of demands. God, I've got these things. God, I want you to do. I want you to show up in these ways, All right? Okay. But what you need isn't proof. What you need is the presence of God. So where you are, I want you to pray, and you're gonna pray, Jesus I want to see you. Jesus, today, I want to feel you. Today, I want you to break through my doubts and my fears. It's like Jennifer talked about today. I want to know that I can be forgiven. Today, I want to know that I am loved. And today, I want to know that I am your child. Jesus, help me see you today. So here's this invitation. We're going to sing this song and when that happens for you, when you become convinced that you are a child of God, when you come, become convinced that, that, that God is bigger than your doubts and that he loves you, when you're ready to say, Jesus, I believe in you and I want to be yours, I just want you to say that to him in a prayer. Jesus, I want to be yours. Just have control of my life. And when you've done that, and, and some of you have already done that, but, but when you're at that place, you're ready to receive that, that, that sonship that God offers. Then and only then, do I want you to kind of stand up and join us in this song. It's an awesome song. But just right where you are, go ahead. And we're just gonna pray. We're gonna play. We're gonna sing. I want you to hear these lyrics. I want you to pray these lyrics. God, help me see you. Show me that I'm loved. Show me that I'm forgiven. What I really need is you, not all this other stuff, God. And when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, then slowly you just stand. You just stand.